transition from training to practice can be confusing, difficult, and seem like a whole new world that we have to figure out how to navigate overnight. So why don't our training programs better prepare us for life as a practitioner? Today, I speak to Dr. Janice Kim about the topic of transitioning from training to practice. Dr. Kim is a recent graduate of the University of Southern California training program in adult psychiatry and is currently in a group private practice in Southern California. Welcome, Dr. Kim. I'm so excited to have you talk to me. And I know we talk a little bit on occasion about what the process has been like for you transitioning from uh, becoming a resident to becoming an attending. Um, And so I just want to kind of open the beginning of the conversation by asking you what that experience has been like. All right. Well, thanks for having me, Rouge. So I've been out of training for three years now, and it was a little scary when I graduated and entered this uh, world of private, you know, psychiatry. Um, so I can tell you a little bit about what I do now. Um, so I work in a group uh, where I do inpatient in the morning. And then I do outpatient in the afternoon. So I work in a hospital where I see mostly private patients. And then um, in my outpatient practice, it's also, you know, a combination of insurance and um, patients who pay out of pocket. Okay. Okay. Wow. Were you, did you always want to kind of go in that direction even while you were in training? I didn't always know. Um, I had to figure that out pretty quickly in my last year of training. But I think I I knew that I wanted to do um, a variety of uh, settings. So I I like that right now I'm doing a combination of both inpatient and outpatient. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's a lot of people, just speaking as a resident, I think that's kind of sounds very ideal you know, just having kind of both because that's what we're exposed to while we're residents is we get in, we get, you know, for me personally, I got a lot of exposure in the inpatient world while I was a second year and now I've transitioned to outpatient and I also see myself kind of doing both. Um, do you feel like you were prepared for the business side of having to deal with what it's like to be a private psychiatrist? Um, do you feel like there was enough education in your program to help you learn what that would be like? And what are your kind of thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I was not prepared at all. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I had no idea um, how much I was going to be charging my patients, mm-hmm. you know, what kind of codes I was going to use to build insurance companies. And just trivial things like, okay, if I fill out a form, am I going to charge my patients for my 30 minutes of filling out, you know, uh, like disability paperwork or letters that they wanted for work or school? So just all these questions that that I would have never even thought about during residency came up um, as an attending. Yeah, yeah. I wonder about that too myself sometimes because... 
I, I have uh, family members of mine who are in private practice, and a lot of what they talk about is just how tough it is to manage like insurance paperwork, figure out how to get proper like compensation for um, for clinical care, what the coding stuff is like, and I feel like we are just so lost in that department. And, you know, I, obviously the most important thing for us as residents is to learn how to manage patients clinically and make sound clinical decisions. But, um, as we, as we're like coming towards the end of training, like transitioning our mindsets to what it's like to actually be working as a, an independent practitioner is something that we just don't learn about how is how was it for you like making that transition do you feel like it took you a long time to get the hang of it how was that experience mm-hmm. so it was um it was tough in the beginning but by nature of being in a group i got to ask my colleagues how they did things um themselves mm-hmm. and you know a lot of it was you know taught to me um by my colleagues who are already in private practice. Um, but if I know some of my co-residents who opened their own practice also struggled with it too. Mm-hmm. And if it wasn't for being part of a group, I think I would have struggled way more. <laughs> yeah, totally. Totally. I, I get that. I totally get that. That makes perfect sense. In your mind now, kind of looking back at you know where you trained and what that experience was like, what do you wish could have been added to your training that would have helped you sort of transition to this next phase of your life? Mm-hmm. Um, I wish I had more mentors who were in private practice. A lot of my mentors, you know, worked in the setting of you know the residency program that I was in, which was the county program. So they also didn't really have a clue <laughs> as mm-hmm. to, you know, some of the struggles that I went through. Like, um, like the systems are so different, you know? Um, like in inpatient, the focus became how to stabilize the patient as fast as possible so that they could be stepped down to a lower level of care. Mm-hmm. Um, which I never experienced um, in residency. You know, there's uh, no pressure from the insurance companies to place patients to a lower level of care because, you know, in county system, they're just often there for weeks to months just awaiting placement, which is not a luxury that I can afford in private practice. I so see. just, yeah, how things operate are completely different, which I was not even exposed to. So I, I just wish that I had somebody who would tell me what their experience was like, or maybe if I had um, some moonlighting opportunities that I could have done, I think that would have been ideal too. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Um I had no idea. I'm personally in a university system. So as you're talking about what your county experience was like, that is just like, I'm clueless to that. And when you're talking about your inpatient experience and how, you know, the the process of moving a patient to a lower level of care and ensuring that they can thrive in the outpatient world, I get that fully because that's been my 
experience and training. Um, so yeah, I had no, I, I personally, as you're speaking, I'm thinking to myself like, wow, I didn't know that that was even something that was possible. And I, I think when we're in training, we think, you know, ACGME requirements are uniform throughout all programs and everybody is learning the same thing. And while we are, um, from an educational standpoint, from a practical standpoint, in terms of managing the business side of medicine, we're we're learning very different skills, and and so um, you know, hopefully, creating the infrastructure to have things like reviewing contracts, figuring out ways that you uh, can practice in a cohesive way, regardless of where you end up, and which mo- modality of practice is really the best thing for you. I think that's something that should be emphasized maybe even in like the fourth year of residency um, within psychiatry programs, because that's the year where you have the most flexibility and you have the freedom to you know, create electives or choose your own electives. Um, did you have any kind of elective experience that you feel like helped you with the transition? No, I don't think so. I don't think we just had a lot of mentors who were in private practice um, I think that was that was part of the limitation. Gotcha. Um, mm-hmm. Even clinically too, not even the business side of things. Um, I think during my training, we're so um, evidence based focused that we don't really consider um, treatments that are like off label. You know, mm-hmm. uh, medications that are FDA approved that a lot of psychiatrists use in private practice. Like, for instance, I, I never used, I would have never thought about using stimulants for um, things like apathy and low energy mm-hmm. associated with depression. But um, right now, you know, I'm, I'm wondering, can, can I actually do that? Like, do other psychiatrists do that? Like, what are the evidence, you know? <laughs> so, yeah. Um, yeah, I wish that I had thought outside the box more when I was in residency. Mm-hmm. Um, not just go by what the guidelines. Um, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that's so attending dependent too, right? So there are some attendings um, in in all programs that very much like stick by the book, and they are very oriented in, you know, proper management of patients based on the DSM and what exactly, um, you know, what the guidelines say, how they're updated, all of that. And then there are others that are more comfortable with off-label use. And so the art of medicine and figuring out what would work for one patient versus another, why you would give somebody a stimulant if they're depressed for one, you know, particular case, and you wouldn't make that decision for another one. Um, there's not too much of an emphasis on that unless you get exposure to an attending who's comfortable doing that. And you know, it sounds like maybe you you didn't have that um, exposure, but now you're seeing that that's possible. <laughs> so those types of things are all like it's so it's so subjective, right? It just, it depends on where you end up, what your program allows you or doesn't allow you to do. Um, Do you feel like there's anything that you, if you had to go back to the realm of residency, 
Is there any like large chunk that you feel like you wish you would have gotten more experience in now that you're, you know, you're obviously comfortable practicing independently and you have a good knowledge base, you have good training and um, you're comfortable with your patients. Is there something that you were like, wow, that would have made my transition so much easier? If I had a chance to moonlight in my fourth year and do um, NC patients independently in a private setting, I think that would have been really helpful. Mm-hmm. Meaning like um, patients outside of the county system? Is that what you mean? Right. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. What made you decide to choose to go into um, private practice? Um, as opposed to staying in the county system or doing like academic medicine or any other realm of practice? Mm-hmm. I guess I, I, I could relate to patients who are more like me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so, and, you know, patients in the county system often have um, a lot of psychosocial um, challenges that I felt really, um, I felt like I couldn't really help them with, um, as mm-hmm. opposed to, you know, patients who had um, jobs and who had insurance or who could pay out of pocket, mm-hmm. you know, often more, often were more functional, you know, they were, they were more, um, I guess, motivated to engage in therapy. So I, I guess I like that about being in private practice. Yeah, that um, makes sense. Yeah, and I was never too keen on research, so I didn't want to go into academics. Oh, yeah, yeah. that mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. It's not obviously everybody has their own interest level. Did you have any difficulties or challenges in reviewing your contract when you first signed on? Did you um, feel like negotiating your contract was challenging? How did you feel about those things? Yeah, that was really... Um that was not something that I was prepared to review the contract. Mm-hmm. And, you know, obviously I um, interviewed at different places and considered different positions and they all had such different contracts. You know, this one job would have pages and pages of contract and the other place would have a contract that was maybe a page and a half long. Mm, <laughs> so, interesting. you know, do I, do I hire a lawyer to look, you know, look, look through my contract or, um, you know, what should I be looking for? How can I negotiate for a better contract? Like I, I really didn't have that much of a knowledge and I didn't know where to start. So, um, yeah. You know what? I don't know where to start either. (laughs) And I'm still in, obviously I'm still in adult training, but I'm, as I go into fellowship and that fellowship is, you know, it's it's just two years. And so I'm wondering myself, I'm like, how am I going to be able to understand that? What is a fair salary? And obviously, you know, as women, we generally tend to 
you get the short end of the stick when it comes to negotiating salaries. And so I, I hope that in the future, there can be some way to address some of these things um, where it's not just such a, you know, such a culture shock, which I think it is for, for trainees as you go from like, you know, being under the guidance of an attending and having somebody always check your decisions to all of a sudden you're making this large sum of money and you have to figure out what the right amount of, you know, salary is for you. And you have no experience in this, whatever, for a lot of like people, this is their first job, which is hard to believe. It's like when you're 30, you get your first job in medicine and to go from never seeing a contract ever in your life to now all of a sudden having to negotiate one is such a huge transition. Did you find that to be the case for yourself too? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, for sure. Yeah. Did you have any help? Like, did you talk to your family, any people you knew? Um, so I ended up going for a job with this one and a half page contract. <laughs> nice. The shorter, yeah. the better, huh? <laughs> I think so. I think that made it easier for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I didn't ended up, you know, consulting with a lawyer or anyone else. I just kind of thought, okay, they, you know, like I just make this job whatever I want it to be because the contract <laughs> was so bare born. Um, but yeah, if it was longer then I think I would have maybe consulted a lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that'll be my strategy too. Just find the job with the shortest contract. Yeah, the shortest contract, like save the most like money with your brain energy Uh, and just like sign it. (laughs) (laughs) That's so funny. Yeah, yeah. I I don't blame you. That I think a lot of people are in that boat, whether they admit it or not. It's so true. It's we we just are so clueless when it comes to that stuff. Um but I think you learn as you go along and um, you probably make, you would, you know, probably make different decisions now having some experience, just not just clinically, but obviously business-wise too, um, than you would when you were um, just out of training. But I think that's the case for all of us. Um, but yeah, I'm glad to hear that you're, you know, you transitioned well. I think a lot of people struggle with that. And I think now with COVID, it's even harder for people to really figure out what the job market is like for psychiatry. Have you felt any changes in your practice as a result of the pandemic? Well, I've been doing way more telepsychiatry and, you know, there are pros and cons to doing video and telephone sessions as opposed to in person. Mm-hmm. But I'm curious to see how it's going to turn out in the next couple of months to, to a year when you know both providers and patients are used to this kind of interface now. Um, I think some patients really prefer the convenience of being able to have a session on their laptop or their phone. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, a lot of patients, you know, who suffer from loneliness really like having an in-person visit too. Sure. Um, and, you know, from the provider's point of view, you know, I, I, we get a lot of information from just seeing the whole person and seeing their behavior and mannerism and whatnot. So, yeah, 
we'll see how it goes. I guess. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. yeah, I know. That's so true. I, I found that too, is that some patients really enjoy it. The older patients tend not to just because I think they have a difficult time kind of navigating um, the, you know, the, the telemedicine piece because they're not used to it, obviously. Um, in terms of your practice and your, the ability to, to find compensation, do you feel like it's more lucrative or less lucrative for physicians to have telepsych? Is it the same? Is there any difference? Um, compensation wise, it's been, um, pretty much the same for me. Mm -hmm. Uh, insurance companies have been reimbursing the same and, you know, um, I have the same number of patients now, even more so, I think more and more patients are, um, having worsening of symptoms or there are more patients who want to seek help since the COVID started. Um, sure. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. That's good to know. Yeah. I was just wondering if that ha is a factor as well. I know that the laws have, have been really lax um, with what has and hasn't been allowed because the pandemic just hit, you know, overnight basically. Um, but, but that's good to know that there's flexibility. Um, yeah. Well, thank you for talking to me. Those are all the questions I had. Um, is there anything else you want to like say or mention or discuss before we just kind of wrap up? Um, you know, looking back, I think I really enjoyed the company of, you know, having co-residents and attendings to really, um, you know, go over cases with or just, just for company to, you know, uh, talk about psychiatry related things. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, um, I lost touch with some of my residents and a lot of the attendings, but I wish that I had kept up with these relationships too, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. for support. Um, yeah. So that's one more thing that I wish that I was, I, I wish I had done better at keeping up with these relationships. Yeah. It's hard. It's really tough because you go from spending all this time together, like constantly all day, all night to just going in your separate ways and having your own, you know, separate life. And, um, and yeah, it's, it's definitely a transition for everyone, but, um, but that makes sense. Thank you for talking to me, Janice. I really appreciate your insight as an attending. You sound so like grown up. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm I wish I was more eloquent. Like, <laughs> I don't know if I'm like podcast material. So. No, you are. What are you talking about? Thank you for listening to The Training Office, a podcast about mental health for trainees by trainees. Today, I talked to Dr. Janice Kim, a psychiatrist in private practice. We discussed the difficulties she faced as she transitioned from life as a resident to an independent practitioner. The discussion was based on the concept of education with influence, one of the four areas of focus within my campaign as an RFMTE candidate within the APA Board of Trustees. To learn more about this topic and more, please visit gurujasaniforapa.com.